Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 211. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. You know, I almost said fine and dandy, but I'm not going to do that. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, uh, every time you say fine and dandy, it makes me crack up, and then that seems to make you crack up. And then we have to re-record the whole thing. So, but you know what? We avoided it this time. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I just I tried not to look at you. Yeah, and I I controlled my face so that I didn't I didn't crack up. That's good. Good, good. We also didn't waste about a lot of time talking about it. Right. We never do that. Oh no. Oh no. Now we've wasted. Okay. Let me move on. Hey, I just wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is uh, now live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main pages show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, the guests, if they've been on or if they've been mentioned before, and the topics that are embedded in the notes, like whether that topic has, if that topic has been mentioned before in other episodes and you're, you know, especially interested in that topic, maybe there's a kind of a topic page to uh, go check out all the other episodes where that's been mentioned. So if you have any feedback for us on that site, we'd love to hear it. Still kind of working on getting it up to date, the most recent episodes, but we'll definitely get there. So love to hear from you about that. Nick, today, I believe, is part two of our conversation. It's part two of Shalvi Wakalu. And if you missed part one in episode 210, that's a great one to go back and listen to. Shelby had a forced decision, have her last day be the day after or take a different job. She talked about the role of tech lead, manager, business owner, Yes, she owned her own business, even Sunset, her own business. And then she went back to the individual contributor role. By the way, I'll just say, I've not heard many people say that they sought out to do something ambiguous. So if you mm. go back and listen, listen for that. That one was really interesting. But you know what? This is part two, John. I, I'm really curious where we go from here. It's been great so far. Yeah, I, I would say that listening to episode 210 was a great experience. Really great discussion that you two had. I'm really looking forward to this transition to 100% management role. And I think there's an interesting discussion of managing teams where she'd actually done the job at that organization and then also managing teams where she hadn't done that job at that organization and what the contrast was between the two. Really, really fascinating. Yeah. How about you? Well, we've talked a lot about how a company should have Technical career paths, career paths for individual contributors that want to progress without having to go and be a people leader. And Shelby will highlight some of the experience she's had in creating the standards for those levels. That was fascinating. Yeah, standards are important. And then she also talks about strategy. I mean, you hear the word strategy, it's sort of like a, a buzzword that needs peeling back a little bit. So she talks about how to develop strategy, what that really means, but also the feedback loops from both the people aspect and the business aspect that help 
construct the strategy and move it forward. Good stuff. Yeah, super excited. I I was pretty upset that we cut off the uh, the episode last week. I uh, wanted to hear the rest of it. So let's get to episode 211, part two of our discussion with uh, Shelby Baku. But again, I didn't get my uh, first like fully management role where I had no IC responsibilities until three years ago. And that was a very conscious decision. Like every role before that, more than 50% of my time was still spent coding or working on things that were me delivering as an individual contributor, even if I was a tech lead, even if I was a manager. So I did not have like something that was more than 50% management until three years ago. Oh, okay. So like one foot in each world, if you will, just not haven't fully (laughs) crossed the line yet. It's like field of dreams. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, for me, it was a very conscious decision. I didn't want to get pushed into management fully where I would stop growing on my technical skills. So I, for the longest time, I almost, you know, turned away from opportunities that framed it as that we are just like, you're just going to be a manager. Like I didn't, I didn't want to do that until a couple of years ago. And so it was a very conscious decision for me. I've not been a people leader. Okay, I'll say that. I give that disclaimer before I say this. But it seems like people who have been extremely technical, when they get to the point where they want to pursue people leadership or start thinking about it, they do have that hesitancy of, I don't want to give up my technical skills. I don't want to give up my technical chops. Is it loss aversion? Is it identity? What tipped you over to say, yeah, I'm okay with that, to go into full-blown leadership? Yeah, I completely hear you on at least some of the things you mentioned, the loss of identity and, uh, you know, just that the the comfort zone of, I I know when I code and I can figure out how to do something. And then, you know, there's a little bit of that feeling that I can see the impact that I'm having. I can, I can have a little bit more tangible things that I can point to as outputs of, of what I'm doing. And I do agree with you that people leadership is very different. Um, sometimes it's all the bad things that have not happened <laughs> that are uh, a, a measure of your success. And it's, I mean, honestly, like that's not for everyone. Like, uh, you know, I look at my last two years and yeah, one of my biggest win is that out of 27 people, only one person left my team um, in the middle of the great resignation. Oh, wow. Like that happened. It's a win. But yeah, it's, it's, it's of something that didn't happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, talent retention is a big deal. I mean, if a people leader can show that they have talent retention, they're saving the company money, it costs, what is it, two and a half times an yep. employee's salary to turn them over? That's yep. a big deal. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's again, you know, it's like you try to do a lot of things that are right and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But it's, it's really, it's, it's so different from life as a coder, uh, that, which is what I started off with, where you know, you, you do X, Y, Z, you get A, B, C, and there you go. Check box. You've met, you've met your goals. So it is a very different life. And I think in my case, what tipped me over was I love sort of being at the strategic helm of a company 
and actually sort of making key decisions. Like I, I, I love, I love businesses. I love businesses that do well. I love shaping businesses that will do well. So for me, it was, you know, like I'd mentioned earlier, look at the jobs that you want and reverse engineer what it, what needs to happen for you to get there. I wanted a C-suite job. That's what I want. That's what I'm still working towards. And I realized that for a C-suite job, you need to have very good grasp on the people aspect of it, like how to get the best work out of people, how to how to hire great people, how to retain them, how to grow them, how to motivate them. So there is there is a big people leadership aspect to most C-suite jobs. And so for me, I realized at some point that I had to go into those roles that pushed me into those situations which would you know really help me grow on that skill set because i i know i'm a good, i was a good ic but i'm like can i be a good manager i don't i didn't know that for sure yet well and i think you have to take that communication aspect that you mentioned earlier too which goes in line with good individual contributors and software engineers and apply that in a whole different way because if i'm a if i'm a frontline leader I have to be able to communicate in the right way with my team down yeah. and then communicate in the right way with people above me, maybe even multiple levels. Yeah. So I, I feel like the way you communicate, the words you say, the things you talk about changes mm-hmm. over time to fit the level you're at in the organization. And I, from my experience interviewing people who have done it, it's it takes them time to get that down. Oh, absolutely. I think getting the right words and the right communication is is just a lifelong journey. I still say things where I like I sit down later and I'm like, why did I frame it that way? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But it's really like it's a it's a journey in self-improvement to keep finding the right things to say at the right time and still sound authentic. And still make it clear that you really care about the individual situation and you're not reading off of a playbook. Yeah, of course, want to be genuine in your interactions. Is it more comforting to take on a people leadership role for a team where you've done the individual contributor work versus one where maybe you haven't? That's a that's an interesting question. I guess I think just from my own experience, when I was at Salesforce, for example, I was doing the work and then I hired somebody to report up to me. And so it was it was more akin to, I know how to do the work and now I'm hiring someone else who can do the same thing or the similar things. Whereas when I entered Komodo, I inherited a team that already existed. And some of the stuff they do, did, I did not know how to do that. Like that was not a specific skill that I had, like just some of the specific things that they worked on, like I I was not familiar with those technologies. I did not have experience with them. But even then, like I, I think I was a successful manager despite not having that experience because I understood the business relevancy. I understood the strategic nature of what that team did. And I knew how to position the team well for their own success and for the success of the company. And that was something that I've been very grateful to have been in multiple situations where I walked in still with that little bit of imposter syndrome of can like do i really am i really the right person here and then feeling like few months later like yes i'm absolutely the right person here i i i know people agree with that thankfully people can be vocal about it so that's that's really nice like i don't think a manager needs to know exactly what everybody does for them to be successful uh, at the management piece got it 
how do you assure make some assurances to the people at those lowest levels who know you haven't done the job they've done before that you're going to put them in a position to succeed? Maybe it has to do with creating a positive team culture and clear success criteria. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, so for me, I am a big believer in understanding very deeply what people's individual career values are. Career values, I think Google can come up with like a long list of what things people might care about. And I always make it a point to ask people that I work with individually what they care about. And I think in most cases, like that is your blueprint as a manager of what you're trying to optimize for, for the success of your report. I have now been a department lead twice. Uh, and in both cases, I was also in general, mostly skewed towards managing senior talent who do not necessarily need help with their technical skills. Like that is not, that is not why they need a manager. They need a manager who understands the concerns they face, who um, listens and actually cares about solving for them. So it's really just building that rapport where they can articulate what is going on that they need help with and you finding ways, proactive ways to unblock them for those for those pieces um, due to the access, the access that you have to senior company leadership. And so for me, knowing those career values is a good way to keep honing in on those specific things that are important to people at that individual level and keeping sort of that eye on the ball of this is what they truly care about. And yeah, nobody has said, I don't know, like Python, maybe I can still help people with, but like, oh, this specific language and this this is what I need help with. Like that's, that's, not, uh, that's not a thing. Maybe for people who are a little more early on in their career and for them, you can always find them mentors who help them with those specific pieces. Yeah, I think you just gave some great justification for why the leader or manager doesn't have to be the most technical person on the team. Yeah. I really like the way you frame that up. You also mentioned building strategies. So how do the how does the knowing people's career values inform what you build for your strategy? Yeah, so that's not a direct input. Um, like it's a separate, it's a separate part of staying very closely in touch with sort of the upward management of like making sure you understand what the company is focused on. And the, what the company is focused on can mean a lot of different things. It can mean what does the CEO care about or what does the C-suite in general care about or what do we advertise publicly? Like there's, there's a lot of different pieces. So I think the more clarity you can try to get on where the company, the business um, is headed and what it needs and then mapping that out with, okay, how does that fit in with what your team can do? And what do different people on your team want to do? So, you know, making that it's almost like a matchmaking service of <laughs> what the company needs and what individuals need. And there may not always be sort of a 100% match. And you as a manager, as a leader, have to find the best way to sort of merge uh, those two pieces. Um, so even on the company side, like maybe the company says like XYZ is what we want to do. And, you know, it's your job to also give feedback that, okay, this is what is realistic. Um, in my case, I was a data leader. So I could also say like, okay, but the data says that this is going to be a better better path for us. So finding those those pieces on both sides, actually connecting them and making sense of them is, is, is what the job is. And in doing that, I think you got close to saying it, but you're also 
giving everyone on the team a heightened sense of their purpose and the impact that they could make to the to the strategy. And I don't I think there are strategies at different levels. Like you might have a strategy for your team that just kind of fits into the strategy of the C-suite, which fits into the strategy of the board of directors. Is that how it works generally? Yeah, I think companies have different ways they even come up with that cohesive strategy. I've seen companies that are very top down and then you're trying to each individual or department is trying to match up to that top down strategy and how they fit in. I've also seen companies that are very bottoms up. They're like, here's the general direction we're headed and what do what do different teams, departments, individuals want to do to help us towards this goal? Again, pros and cons of both. Like, I don't think going in either direction totally is, is at least in my opinion, it's not, it doesn't yield the best results. But uh, figuring out those pieces again is helpful. Like, I think companies that are at least honest about what their strategy generation tactic is, whether it's top down, whether it's bottoms up, whether it's a mix of both or there's some guardrails. Like, I think it's really helpful because then people know how they can contribute and how they can do something good for the company but also do something good for themselves yeah that's a great point and i think sometimes when we hear the word strategy we always kind of go what does that really mean maybe it's just one of those things you hear a lot (laughs) but i appreciate i appreciate the clarification there if we stay on the leadership track for a second what advice might you have for other people who want to get into that leadership role or determine if it's right for them I love that topic because I think as an industry, we have made it very murky where there's almost this expectation that once you're a senior enough, I see there's almost this expectation of you going into management. I heavily push back on that mindset. I wish as an industry we do, we do something different and we do better because I don't think going from IC to management is a promotion. I think it's a different job and you either choose to do that job or you choose to not do it. And that is everyone's personal preference based on a lot of different things that they may care about. But I think I think I I really wish that as an industry, we would just really keep repeating that, that it should not be that the only way to grow in your career is to go into management. So I really have a lot of respect for companies that have mapped out individual contributor paths that rise up all the way to principal senior staff like they're they're really saying that hey there's a there's a place for you at the highest level of individual contribution that is valuable that is critical to the company's success so for me i would say anybody who's considering this i have mentored a lot of new technology managers um i think there was one year where i mentored like 60 of them in a in a span of a year so it was it was something that i did a lot of and I would say that a lot of them grappled with that question. And one thing that's really helpful is talk to people in management, not just in management in general, but specifically in your company, in the company that you are considering management, find out what it really is to be a manager, find out what they do, how they spend their time. And first step should be clarifying whether you want to do management in that company, because it can vary a lot from company to company. And then you can figure out whether you want to do it in other companies. And, uh, you know, sometimes the right path may be still to take the opportunity in your current company, even if that's not your exact flavor, to just get a little bit of experience. But uh, 
I still think that it really helps when people dive into what it actually takes. And I guess it could be even within the same company, depending on what team you might be leading, it, it might be full on people management. And in another team, it might be half people management, half tech lead. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Teams come in all sizes and then things happen, people leave or people join. And, you know, there's so much, so many things that can keep changing. And ultimately, the manager has to adapt to a lot of different situations. And they are the ones who have to prioritize the success of their reports before their own individual success. And that can be really hard for a lot of people where they're used to seeing kudos that come for them. And your measure of success as a manager almost becomes like, what kind of kudos are coming for your team? <laughs> right. That definitely makes sense to me. If you're, if people are getting promoted out of your team to something bigger and better, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, I mean, that's a great thing. I also have often trained new managers and told them that you should not shy from having someone report up under you who's technically at the same level. Maybe they even get promoted to an IC level that is senior than your current level. Like if they out or new, that is not a, that is not a bad thing. Uh, it can be an uncomfortable thing, but it is not a bad thing. Yeah, you actually done some work on this leveling for those higher individual co contributors, right? The yes. making sure that a technical career path or an individual contributor career path exists within the organization. What made you want to do that? And how does somebody even start? You know, how did you sell the value internally of making sure that that was clearly defined? I, I, I loved doing that. I loved working on it. Well, when I was at Komodo, I was very grateful to work with, a. I think as a company culture, they really cared about, you know, again, they cared about the company and the business and like they were very, very good at the business focus. But I think it was one of the companies that I worked at that really, really genuinely cared about the people. Um, and I was already coming from a culture, like I was coming from Salesforce, which is hands down one of the best uh, company cultures I've ever worked at. And then to come to a small company, which was also like really good, was truly a blessing. And but, you know, it was it was a much smaller company. So they didn't have a lot of discipline in, in, in sort of that approach. Like a lot of startups tend to have a little bit of this misalignment with market realities. Like it's it's almost, it's very predictable. I've, I've worked with a ton of startups and, you know, you have a company, some of the early people who bet on your company, they over time get this outsized reward in terms of title or level or influence or maybe even leadership opportunities. And it gets very out of whack with what the market realities are. Um, so somebody could be really good in that particular company, but maybe with the rest of the market, they don't they don't sort of stand up to that same to that same level. So Komodo, as they were going through their transition of raising, I think I joined the company when it was Series B, but they very rapidly um, started growing. They knew that there was that need to add more structure to even how the engineering department was structured. So I reported up to the head of engineering. He and I had chatted about it a lot. We had a business partner, uh, like an HR business partner, who we had chatted a lot about it. And so this was something that I I took on ownership as as part of the engineering leadership team to help define that and come up with that framework that we felt we could defend with market realities externally as well. 
solving for the people at the company and making them be able to see clearly what progression looked like, what reward and uh, growth looked like, and what was expected at different levels. Uh, but also reconciling that with, you know, we didn't want to be a company where, <laughs> funny example, but it's like, oh, everybody here is a principal engineer. And then you go out and some of them are like, one year out of college, like, that's just not a thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I guess I didn't realize that a lot of startups don't have the technical career path, but I could see that if they're small, for sure. Is there an employee number tipping point where it seems like it's almost a requirement to have this type of career path? I would say once you've crossed about 50, 60 engineers, you should have something in place. And and yeah, I mean, the larger company, I'm not putting a number on the larger company because some departments are really small. When I was at Strava, we had a two-person department, sub-department that reported up to me for, a, you know, for almost a year. And there were only two people with that role. So in, in their case, it's again, like you have to default to sort of a larger framework that the company uses. It's not that specific to their, their skill set. But um, I think in most companies, once you've gotten past the two, three pizzas is not enough for everybody in this department. Uh, you should you should have something more structured and something more formalized. Because otherwise, I think very predictably what happens is that you start having promotions that are based in feeling and not in fact. And that will always make people who are not getting those promotions be resentful because they're like, hey, I, I don't know what it takes for someone to get promoted. Like it's this person just has a nice feeling associated with them, but factually they are not actually showing progression in terms of their skills and in terms of what they can actually achieve. Right. And to your point earlier about the feedback and knowing what people's career values are, mix all that together and with the leveling and clear knowledge of what the expectations are and the effective people leader can can give that feedback more often than just in the yearly review or every six months review. It can be a, a frequent check-in on, okay, here's where we are. Here are some gaps I see. What are you working on to, to get there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you care about people and if you care about growth, you have to give them useful feedback. And if you yourself are unsure of what the company is willing to, is committed to rewarding in terms of progression, then it's very hard for you to give that effective feedback because maybe you'll tell them that, okay, do this, 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 and, you know, that brings you closer to uh, being promotion ready. And the company can be like, well, I have no clue what what a senior analyst or a senior engineer is supposed to do. And so they might then default to that, oh, somebody's just been in a role for X amount of time. And, you know, these arbitrary sort of rules that a lot of uh, places tend to make. And it's it also really matters when you're hiring people that you are placing them at the correct level. Because that, especially when you merge startup experience with big company experience, it can be really difficult to align that. Because somebody may be considered a senior analyst in one company where there are only two people in that function and then they can go to a different company and their skills do not match up to what a senior analyst is expected to do. So setting the clear expectations of this is what our company values and is committed to is, is very important for people to have transparency around those things. And I'm guessing, well, I don't know for sure, but I know that generally in job titles and listings, you see that title, senior, staff, whatever it may be, principal. Have you seen companies that have the clearly defined 
distinctions between those levels actually give a potential candidate the data that says, hey, here's the difference and here's why we see you as only a senior when maybe you were a staff or a senior staff at this other company? I have done that in in my companies uh, where we have extended offers and we have had candidates say that, oh, but I really wanted a senior title. And we have authorized our recruiting team to actually share our leveling, our internal leveling standards with those particular candidates. And it's again done in a respectful manner where we're not saying like, hey, mm-hmm. we're just saying, hey, this is this is what is the standard for our company. If a title is super meaningful to you, that's understandable. Like, you know, I have had some job uh, switches where I did have to lower my title. And in my cases, I was okay with that. But I totally understand if someone is not. So you do have to be uh, transparent about that. So at least I've done that in the companies that I've worked at. I have asked for that in certain cases as well. I think in my previous job when I was joining, I did ask for it. Um, and I was able to successfully convince them to hire me at a senior title than what was originally offered. So it is helpful to just ask people for that articulation. And some companies do it, some companies don't. It's helpful if they do. Oh, that's a great point. That's a that's a nice tip for people who are interviewing out there. Ask yeah. for the leveling distinctions. Hadn't thought about that one before. Fantastic point. Can we go back just a little bit to data science, data intelligence, and that specific field. Can you take just a second to explain what data science really entails for people out there who maybe haven't done it and how that might be different from what you did as an analyst? Yeah, great, great topic. And I know some of your listeners may get rowdy with my answers here. So I I Uh apologize. Yeah, I I have a hot take on this, which is not a hot take. I keep repeating it on my LinkedIn and Twitter all the time. But, you know, I really wish that our industry would align the terminology. It is so frustrating even for candidates to apply to roles where they're unclear about what it actually entails. I worked in a company where everyone who came to be a data scientist expected it to be a machine learning role. And machine learning was barely 5% of what was actually required. It was an analytics role. So I'll clarify the terminology from my perspective, which is what I have looked up and researched and seen um, as, as sort of the OG, OG definition. <laughs> but data science was actually considered the umbrella term that is the science of data. So it encompassed everything from analytics to data engineering to um machine learning, and then all the other bits and bobs thrown in, like, you know, visualization is an expectation. There's other other sort of pieces, like, you know, the pipeline infrastructure, like all of all of that fits in fits in there somewhere. To turn it back to sort of the software engineer analogy, like that is the full stack data scientists that who can do analytics, data engineering, and machine learning. I think what has become more common is that a lot of courses started interchangeably using data science and machine learning. So many companies use that definition interchangeably and I get it. Now it's so pervasive that it almost seems weird. Like I always almost clarify like here's what I mean when I say data science. So I think I think what's helpful is to just look at the definition of the job itself and see specifically what parts are expected and what parts are not expected. Sometimes it can be more than one piece. Like sometimes you can be expected to do analytics and data engineering, 
or analytics and machine learning engineering um, and similarly machine learning and data engineering like so it can be a little bit of a mix and match uh, i think almost all of them expect some level of visualization capabilities but again that can vary in what you've seen from your experience in various roles at various companies are most of the people who come into that data science umbrella type role are they coming from a development background or does it really vary as to what the person's background is who ends up landing in this spot? Yeah, I think people come in from a very, very variety, like wide variety of backgrounds. I do think, you know, that engineering development is represented quite a bit. Uh, that's what I came in from, but I have worked with data scientists who came from psychology background or a customer service background or, you know, a lot of like very people facing jobs or research, research background, a lot of people with hard math skill sets. So PhDs in probably any discipline like physicists have become uh, have become data scientists and they've become very successful data scientists. So I think there's a lot of different fields that people can come from. An aversion to math is probably a hard a hard line. Like I think I think that that is that is the one. Like if somebody really just doesn't like that piece, I think it's hard. And an aversion to basic coding, I think that's also a hard line. Like people need to be able to code. I think not a passion, but at least like a wish to want to tell stories. Maybe maybe less so for data engineering, but I would say for machine learning and for analytics i think it's an important skill to have and i do think people get it from all sorts of functions i've had product managers who switch to data science i've had obviously engineers marketing folks like tons of people who've come from different functions anybody from like that it generalist background who wanted to jump into the data lake so to speak oh absolutely i think i think that is actually pretty common like there's a lot of people who are able to effectively utilize there's a ton of free resources out there uh, there's no dearth of people who are willing to sort of share that knowledge so you know when people are clear about the subset of problems they want to solve and want to explore i think there's a lot of opportunity in out, out there and if i if i as an it generalist or it operations person want to take a step in that direction are there specific tools or educational type opportunities that you would recommend taking advantage of to help get you ready to go down that path because that that's probably not something that's going to be part of your normal day-to-day -day job i imagine you could probably bolt it on creatively but you're probably gonna have to do some of that legwork on your own Oh, absolutely. So I think we discussed uh, boot camps earlier, and I think they're a great way to sort of quickly get the lay of the land and have a little bit of hands-on experience on actual projects, learn the learn the languages that are relevant, learn the techniques that are relevant, learn a bit of which technique to apply in which situation. But I would also say that just in the sort of open source community, there's a lot of resources out there. I really love, I think Twitter used to have this uh, hashtag um, 100 days of code, which was used by a lot of data folks as well. I don't know specifically if there was a data subset of that hashtag, but I did see a lot of data folks who used to post using that hashtag. And the, there's that Kaggle community that regularly hosts projects and competitions. There's so much open source data out there, like data.gov is a huge source of just, you can practice so much just using you know real live data sources that 
can help you maybe formulate some problems yourself and then see if you can get to a get to an answer that is uh, that is interesting that is that makes sense and i would imagine there are community groups in this discipline too that people can take advantage of like on meetup.com or are there any like online technical communities that you know of centered in this discipline that you that you've benefited from yeah so women in data science i mean again i have been part of that community as I've I've spoken at various chapters. I, I was the keynote in uh, the Miami chapter conference that they ran a couple of years ago. So they definitely have a lot of resources out there. Data Umbrella is also something that I've been a part of. They regularly host events where they cover core technical topics or training that, that you can benefit from. Most of these communities like data umbrella is a larger one that i think covers everything and as the name suggests um but the women in data science has multiple chapters that are for specific locations so you can even join for in person meetups in your area oh excellent we'll make sure and link to those in the show notes and link to some of your your talks that you have posted in various places we'll we'll make sure that people get access to those i really appreciate you sharing within the average organization in the average company, where does a data science organization fit? Is it its own organization? Does it fit under marketing? Does it fit under engineering? Or is there no pattern? There are a few patterns. I think you're very clear that you're not asking where it should. Right. Where have you seen it? If I want to learn more about it at my company, yeah. maybe I can go ask people in that area do you do this? And if yes. so, can I learn about it? Yeah, that's a great point. So I would say most companies that like if you start from sort of the smallest companies, at what point do they decide to get a data scientist? Most companies, I would say either start like the three most common places that I've seen it be like the first place where they say like, okay, we need we need analytics, we need some data science is either, uh, you know, obviously product and engineering. So you're building something, you want to measure it, you want some meaning you want to understand the meaning behind it marketing is actually a very common place where data science like the first data scientist in a company is hired another reason for that is also like one market marketing benefits a lot from knowing the roi of what is going on because they have they usually have very big spends um, so staying on top of that from a data perspective is very useful to companies um, and then obviously finance is always interested in core analytics of either the product performance or engineering performance or just anything. So I would say that those, and I clubbed product and technology, product and engineering together for a reason because they kind of coexist. So, so yeah, I would say in most companies, they end up going through cycles where you start off with just a couple of departments have their own analyst or their own data scientist. And eventually the company becomes large enough that you decide to centralize that entire function. For example, at Strava, we were at that centralized phase where we did have product analysts, we did have marketing analysts, we did have community uh, analysts, but they all reported up under one, under one organization. And then that organization can report up under product, technology, COO, like operations, directly to the CEO or it can be a different organization but still some 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 bit of pattern but not like super specific because it can change based on the specific company. My theory is that 
people who work at companies that maybe aren't software companies don't realize that their company does this and has a team that works on it. So if yep. they're interested, then they can look in the proper places. Absolutely. That's a good point. Thank you very much, Shelby. I really appreciate you taking the time and spending it with us. Where can people find you if they want to follow up on these episodes? Yeah, um, they can find me on my website. It's just my first name, shelby.com. Um, and that links to a lot of my LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, um, which has a lot of other resources. I also offer free office hours for people who are looking for mentorship. And so that can be found on my website as well. Oh, fantastic. And I think you're actually working on a book. Do you want to tell us about that real quick and plug it a little bit? Uh, sure. Thank you uh, for letting me plug my book. Yes, I am working on a book on self-advocacy. It's a topic that I have very passionately spoken about for many years. So I am right now actively looking for literary agents, but hoping to get it out and in people's hands as soon as possible. More details about that book are on my website as well. Okay, well, we'll make sure and link to that. And maybe if they follow your website, follow you on LinkedIn, they can get uh, get some pre-orders going when the time comes. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciated you having me. Nick, that was such a great discussion. I'm, I'm really jealous that you got to have it and disappointed that I, I couldn't take part, but, uh, super exciting. I, I, the, the thing that, that jumped out at me right away was that I think I mentioned in the introduction, taking on management of a technical team at an organization where you haven't been an individual contributor and, and what you have to do to kind of set up uh, success as a manager for that, the building the rapport, understanding what people's career goals are. And then, of course, as uh, Shelby got into a little bit later, translating strategy um, into something that's relevant for those people and helping them understand how their careers are going to work. Just really cool discussion. Yeah. And I liked her encouragement to really ask about what the title means. Is a manager really a manager in the 100% people manager sense? Is it more of a tech lead? Is it a player coach? How, how much, quote, managing is included in that title at that company? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And what do they mean by data science at that company? Making sure you're defining all the terms. Yeah. Totally agree. Because if you're a 100% manager, that's that's just a different job. I think we've talked about it, you know, many times. It's just not necessarily all the same skills as the individual contributor on the team that one's managing. You know, I don't know, 30, 40% overlap. One still needs to keep one's, you know, technical hand in to understand what one needs to hire for, <laughs> how to do performance management on that team. And if you don't know the tech, then it's a little bit difficult to, to do those things effectively. But man, if you don't define the terms and you expect to be a 100% manager and then you're not like that is that is unfortunate i think the the cool discussion of helping those individual contributors map their own career paths was really eye-opening for me i think that you know is super important in a manager and all the best managers that i've ever had had consistent 
touching base meetings about, Hey, what are your career aspirations? Where do you want to go? What is it that you want to do? Like, and then having like, you know, concrete steps that they recommend that I take to, to kind of reach those things and being an advocate for me, um, when I'm not in the room. So all of those, those things are, are just, you know, fascinating. And, and maybe just to pile on a little bit, that discussion of helping first time managers or, you know, managers in general to, you know, grappling with the idea of, Hey, is this management role really what I want to do with the rest of my career? Or is this, you know, just a brief stay and then I want to become more of a, a senior individual contributor uh, again, rather than a manager, all important questions to ask. And it's, it's really interesting to hear about it from somebody who's gone through that process and, and then helped other people go through that process. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not, I guess, extremely different from somebody who is a network administrator and they decide that they want to go and work on storage. It's a different job. It doesn't mean they won't carry some of their knowledge with them, but it is very different. And we've had multiple guests speak to that. And Shelfie was almost explicit, like in saying that you might not even really think about it as a promotion. You maybe should just think about it as moving to a different job. You know, maybe your seniority level might not even change. Maybe there's a different different pay scale for for managers at that seniority, but sometimes there isn't because there's a little bit of a premium placed on that role on management. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, if you're an entry level manager and you have somebody who's a principal engineer, then maybe they are out earning you. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, senior director or or something like that, then maybe not. No idea. Yeah. Well, I think we've talked about that before. And I think this, the origin on this was Chad Sackage, who said that, you know, some of those higher level titles might be on the same tier as a management pay scale or director pay scale or senior director pay scale, depending on how high you go up. And the requirement is that you have the same impact on the business as somebody at, at those higher levels. And I'll just go ahead and refer back to episode 45, Career Conversations with Your Manager, to follow one of the points you made. If you aren't having those or are having those, that was a pretty good episode where we talked about what those should entail and why they're important. Right, right. There's something about leveling standards. That that discussion was interesting. What was your reaction to that? I thought it was a great point that the job leveling standards across companies are likely different. So if I'm a senior level sales engineer at this company, that might actually be staff level somewhere else. And if my right. if my company has no standards and I think I'm senior staff level and I go somewhere and they say, well, actually, you're you're really just a senior. Right. But if they have the standards, they can back that up with why and you can help understand it when you accept the role instead of a, well, I don't really like that title, but I, I think I'll take the job. Right, right. I never thought about it asking it asking for it in an interview though. That that is yeah, that's a really good point. In an interview, if you can articulate what the standards were for your title, then that helps the organization understand how to level you in their context, right? Yeah. Like here's the level of impact I'm supposed to make within and without you know, inside and outside the organization at this tier within this company. Right. Is that the same as what you're saying? Right. How about that swath of resources for those who want to get into data science? I mean, I've not tinkered around with with these tools 
honestly, I think it would be fun to do that. And if you go and participate in some of the communities that Shelby pointed out, like the Kaggle community and a couple of others, certainly there are meetup groups out there. You can see the types of problems that folks in the data science space are solving. And that's a pretty big umbrella from what she told us. Oh, yeah. That actually had me inspired to go do some of that stuff. Check out the Kaggle community. I, I was aware of it, but I hadn't really spent any time or effort to to dive in. But the, the idea that, you know, one could get even like a, a cursory exposure to kind of the types of problems and, and the methodologies to bring about how to solve them and take a look at other people's work and how they went about doing it. I mean, that's kind of the model for learning how to learn something really effectively. And that's, that's just a, a fascinating idea. I was just going to let the AI do it for me. Just type the problem into chat GPT and then have it spit out the answer. Yeah. Something like that. Is that how it works? Yeah, where where does that fit within an organization? Who does ChatGPT report to? <laughs> I thought it was cool that her answering the question about where data science sits within an organization. Sometimes it's centralized, sometimes it's decentralized. Pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah. So important to understand that too, right? I think if one's thinking strategically about their career, you kind of want to be able to tie yourself to like, tons of value within the organization, which if you're centralized, you might have the opportunity to touch more like value generating types of projects than if you're a little bit decentralized in which, you know, the kind of domain that you play in might be very specific to marketing or very specific to sales or very specific to product engineering. I hadn't really thought about it that way before. And it was just an eye-opening comment for me. It's about that line of sight to revenue, like Anudeep Parhar said in the episodes we did with him, 208 and 209. Anything else before we get out of here? Again, I thought that was just an amazing conversation. Nothing here. Fantastic. Loved, I would love to talk to more people that have gone into data science. It's just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. And special thank you again to Neil Thompson over at Teach the Geek for recommending Shelby as a guest and helping make the connection. Yeah, Neil, thanks a lot. That was, it was just awesome. What a, what a great connection there. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman and Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore signing off. Adios.